Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Scott Soshkin. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Sticky Wicket Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. Well done. I can't remember the last time you and I discussed cricket. I'm not sure we ever have. <laughs> we, we may never have. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, outside of Flushing Meadow Park, have you ever seen the cricket games on the weekends of Flushing Meadow? I have. I, I come into them sometimes when I'm on my way to the U.S. Open uh, and, and I run into them. And, and the, the park I play hockey in, actually, Scott, in ball hockey in Astoria, right next door, there's always people playing cricket on the blacktop as well. So... I have seen the, the the growth of the game in New York in the past few years. See, I know. Again, this is tangential. I this, this I make the jump. I know that Astoria is not Corona. <laughs> I know it's two different places, but still, you said Astoria. I used to work there when I was interning at the uh, at WFAN at the Kaufman Astoria Studios. But still, I jumped to good food. By the way, I love all the Greek Great restaurants. Food, yeah. But have you ever been to Mamas of Corona? And I, I this is I, I do not get paid. I have no T shirts. You've never eaten at Mama's No, no free ads, Scott. No free no, ads. No, 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 no. They do not sponsor the pot or anything. But <laughs> if you get the shot, you have to go with to uh, Mama's of Corona. Unbelievable sandwiches. Good to know. Good to know. I went with our friend Danielle Perlo, formerly Danielle Sessa, used to work for the New York Mets. And she took me to, oh, just great, great uh, sandwich. Anyway, cricket, we were following it. And our friend Anthony Krupe also following along because the broadcast writes both streaming and over-the-air TV were up for grabs. And how do, how do you like this, Evan? Almost $6 billion just for the over-the-air and streaming rights in India, right? Just, just in. There's more to come. So the highlights, because I'll just give highlights and then you know the takeaway, and you let me know where you want to go with this. Vi- Viacom 18 got the streaming rights for $2.6 billion, right? That's that's Paramount Global and Reliance. Disney, which used to, or at least a company part owned by Disney, Star, Star, Di, or Star India, uh, they used to have the streaming rights, got the TV rights for $3 billion. Now, everybody knows that Disney is trying to build its, uh, its streaming platforms, you know, ESPN Plus, et cetera. The interesting part here, from what I'm told from friends at different networks and who have been following this, is that Mukesh Ambani, of course, now you know he's at Reliance. It's also a uh, Paramount Reliance-owned company at Viacom 18. Mukesh Ambani has for years used giving away almost the, the cell phone service to customers to really get critical mass and to get a majority of the 1.4 billion people in India waiting for the day when he could monetize it because he's got all the folks utilizing his his service. Genius. Way to go, Mukesh The Shambani. U.S. sports betting model, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get the customers, get right? So any way you need to, get, to get them. Yeah. But, I mean, what's my takeaway? If you would have asked me who was going to win a streaming battle, and the Wall Street Journal, by the way, did a great story because 
you would think if it's just about getting the people on your platform that it would be you know front and front and center uh, of top import to Disney to get everybody over to ESPN, ESPN Plus use them use this as a you know a driver of subscriptions but you had to do the math and the calculus of what a a cricket customer was worth to Disney and ESPN I thought it was a fascinating story and it sort of explains why they don't have it anymore. Yeah, and this is for the the India Premier League, essentially the, what the NFL is to to American football, the sport. That's what the IPL is to cricket, the sport. Uh, so so the, the biggest league going out there. Uh, I think the thing that jumps out to me, Scott, first and foremost, is, is how much money we're talking about here. The, the, these, these deals are going to end up being, on a per-game basis, more expensive than what the Premier League, the English Premier League, the Soccer League gets, way more expensive than what Major League Baseball gets. It's essentially going to be right behind the NFL in terms of how valuable its rights are. We should mention in here, Amazon pulled out of this thing uh, last late. week, late last week. If something is too expensive for Amazon, you know you're talking about a level of, uh, uh, you're in a financial level that is that is rarefied air. Yeah, I think it is one of the things that's shocking to me, and and I, I've been reading about it for a few weeks, so, so I, I knew it was going to be this high eventually, but but it's, we're talking about shocking amounts of money here for broadcasting TV rights. Yeah, I, I mean, like you said, you just put up there, when you say it's something, the NFL of something else, you know that we're, we're talking a lot of money. And again, $1.4 billion people. And I think in the US, people tend to think of things as, uh, I was watching, you ever watch Jerry Seinfeld's Comedian in Cars Getting Coffee? Yes. Okay. So he was with Trevor Noah and he said something about you know football. And then he said, oh, and your football. And he asked if he was insulted by that. And Trevor Noah was like, no, it's like, it, you went about it all wrong. He's like, you guys make a big deal out of 100 million people watching your Super Bowl, right? He's like, meanwhile... If I forgot which teams he said, but if it was, you know, two global elite soccer teams, boy, if they play on a random Saturday, it's 400 million people watching around the world. He's like, yeah, yeah our football is number one. So I, I don't think people really understand the number of eyeballs that cricket can aggregate, not only in India, because still to come, by the way, is bidding on uh, by, by, by the time this airs, maybe the bidding will be over. But as as we record is a kind of a smaller compilation of games and as well uh, the rights outside of India. So all in all, I mean, we could be looking at what how, what did what did Krupi say? Thirteen billion dollars or ten plus billion, whatever it is. Right in there, I mean, yeah. a, a a big big haul, which explains why. By the way, U.S. sports team owners, private equity folks, are also looking at the uh, at the Indian Cricket League. Yeah, and and we talk on this show a lot, Scott, about China. We're actually going to do it probably in, in a few minutes again about how how big the opportunity a lot of leagues and, and companies think about the, expanding their business in, in China just because of how many people there are. Uh, India is essentially just as big, right? It's 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 almost one point four billion people as well. Um, there's a lot of companies, and, and and you mentioned a few of them: Disney, ESPN, Viacom, that that are looking to expand their business in India, the second most populous country in the world, this is uh, a really good front porch to do that. It's why, the, why I think a lot of the bidding is so high here. So yes, in the same way that, 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 that China gets discussed probably a bit more 
than India does and on the global sports scale. There's a lot of opportunity here for a lot of people in the sports, media, and entertainment world. And cricket is certainly one of the ways that people see value in maybe getting your, your brand name more out there. How much of cricket do you understand? Do you watch cricket? Very little. I said the sticky wicket thing at the beginning and then realized that I actually don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what a sticky wicket is. Um, yeah, I cannot, I'll be honest, I have not watched much cricket in my life. I know a lot of people who, uh, who, who really enjoy it. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a sport that, you know, to, to widen beyond the IPL, Scott, we're going to hear a lot about it in, in the next couple months as the push to be included in the LA 28 games continu- continues. Cricket feels, I think, very confident and rightfully so that it will be included, if not in 2028, in 2032, when the summer games are in Brisbane. But uh, there's a big push right now, largely because of all these things we're talking about, the massive overseas audience, particularly in India, a place that the IOC obviously would like to do more commercial, uh, have more commercial activity and a bigger presence in. There's going to be a big push to try to see if they can get cricket into the Olympics in 2028. One of the things that bugs me, Novi Williams, is when people say history repeats itself. Hmm. You hear it a lot, like history repeats itself, and, I, and you'll you'll understand the, the segue here. But <laughs> history, and I don't remember if a professor told me this, but if you really think about it two minutes, like history doesn't repeat itself. Like it's not left of its own volition. It's not like history will repeat. What repeats itself are patterns of human behavior. Okay. So when, when you bring sort of the global perspective now, look at what's going on in U.S. sports right now. Uh, let's say baseball. Oh, short attention spans for younger viewers. We're trying to figure out pitch clocks. How do we shorten? Boy, it seems like cricket got there earlier than everybody else. Like, no, we're not going to wait days for a game. We're just going to adapt the game. There's a wholly different different game that just takes a short time. You're talking about T20 there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That you have to make this game uh, appeal to a mass audience. Yeah, and it's it's a great point because that that shorter version uh, is the one we're talking about with the Olympics as well. Here, uh, it's not unlike we saw rugby sevens in the Olympics instead of yes. the, the the traditional bigger side rugby when 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 lacrosse, which is also pushing to be in the Olympics, the thing that they're pushing is not the full lacrosse that a lot of people are used to. It's it's a much smaller sided version. There's no question. Everybody who is looking at those smaller sided versions of sports is looking at what cricket has done as the model. They, they took a sport that was and boring is not the right word, but probably way too long, slower, paced. to have slower paced, <laughs> way too long to have any kind of, of, I think condensed commercial interest in the way that we think about sports and media right now and turned into a, a much shorter kind of rock star version of what the, what the game was. It's a great point. Cause yes, everybody points at it as w- when it goes right, this is what it looks like. Yeah. It, one of the worst things you can do to a journalist is to, hey, I, I want to tell you something, but you can't write it, right? <laughs> you know that, right? That's like one of the worst things you can do. Yeah. And I, and I will tell you, I was privy to a conversation uh, with some of the ideas being bandied about for Major League Baseball. That mm. they, you know, things that just sort of, you know, the sort of really, really um, big, big changes that would, and I'm not saying this is at baseball's level, just ideas that are have been formulated that could uh, drastically alter Major League Baseball. Should baseball say, all right, I want to hear that and, and move forward? And I heard two of them, and I loved them both. And I think my focus group of one would love it. And okay. I think I think his pals would love it. Have I told you these, by the way? I'm, I'm not sure if up. you have. I'm, I'm actually, I'm riveted. Yeah, well, I, 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 don't th- I don't think so. So, well, if, if you bump into me in the street and want to say, hey, give me one of those two, I can't do it. But I will tell you it, that... Very, very interesting ideas 
uh, are being discussed. So oh, you can't tell us what they are. No, of course not. <laughs> no, of course not. So the thing that you hate when it happens to you I'm is doing exactly doing what everybody. you just did to the listeners. Well, but I started with I. I you can't report. It. I can't, if I can't write it, I can't say it. Right. I, I thought but, maybe the statue of limitations on your silence had, uh, I'm had sorry, expired. Wait, I'm sorry. This is a pet peeve. Did you say statue? Statu- statute. Statute. Yes, statute. I want to make it. Yes, stat- <laughs> statute. Uh, all right. Let's move on to a Mike McCann special. Ron Rivera. Finds Jack Del Rio is he, is he the defensive coordinator or offensive defensive coordinator? coordinator he's a defensive the coordinator of the Washington Commanders. He came out and I, I don't even know, frankly, because I just saw the I just saw the clips. I don't know why he was even talking about this. I don't know who asked him or whatever. It was on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, why? Why was he even commenting about? It, it seemed like he was talking about Black Lives Matter protests versus what happened at the Capitol on January sixth. And he called the the. Uh, the uh, attack on the Capitol, a dust up, right? He didn't want it. So uh, my question to you is, if the football team is not looking for a new stadium and obviously needs widespread support, probably in DC and in the surrounding areas, because there will be some people who certainly agree with them. I mean, that, that's okay. The, the question I have for you, if, if they're not looking for a new stadium, is he fine? Is this is this a story? Yeah, it's a great question because I think a lot of people saw the the bare headlines of this. Uh, Jack Del Rio says X. Uh, the Washington Commanders find him a hundred thousand dollars. The coach, and, and we're, which is and, interesting, right? Coach, it came from the sure. coach. Yeah, and, and 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 I think we're a little uh, surprised by it. It, it. Mike McCann, who who would know better than probably anybody else, believes it might be the first time that a, a team has find a coach for speech in, in in this kind of way. We can be kind to Jack and say that it's a it's an uninformed opinion, but we've heard a ton of of really bad, worse, uninformed opinions from from football players and coaches in the past as well that has not resulted in a hundred thousand dollar fine. I think your question is exactly right, Scott, because I, I believe one day after this happened, the Virginia General Assembly postponed its its voting on a potential new stadium referendum for the for the Washington commanders. It's very clear, I think, that in some ways what he said hurt the bottom line of the team. And in that regard, I do think that there's a, a maybe a, a fairly clear argument for finding him, not for the content of what he said, but more because he went out and, 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 and opined on something that directly affects the business of the franchise. It, it made me think, Scott, and, and we had this conversation offline b- before earlier in the office, it made me think of, in some ways, of Daryl Morey, Sure. Right, who who when he tweeted about the pro uh, democracy protests in Hong Kong a number of years ago, set off a, a firestorm that had very very bad business consequences both for his team, the Houston Rockets, and for the NBA. Hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars, uh, probably ramifications from 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 that photo and and the few words that he tweeted. I don't know, I don't remember if he was fined or not, but certainly another example in which uh, he he's wading into an issue that depending on where you are on the political side of things, you probably feel one of two very different ways about, but you're also dramatically affecting your team's ability to do business. And that feels like something that you can be fine for. I am always astonished at the relatively simple understanding of freedom of speech. Like there yeah. was that immediate argument, freedom of speech, you should say what he wants. You should be able to say whatever he wants. He is, by the way, that actually means, you know, like the government, (laughs) that one, that's what that applies. Freedom of speech applies to the government uh, censoring you. Okay. This absolutely, Jack Del Rio has every right to say 
what he wants. And by the way, he did. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean that he is immune from consequence from his employer or whatever. So I just want to clear that up because and, and, it's yeah, another pet peeve. You're right. And a quick shout out to Mike McCann, whose story on this, I recommend people read. He, Mike dives into the, the the two way, essentially the two levers in which in, in the kind of umbrella of free speech, a team like the commanders might have an ability to punish Jack. One of which being a, a team-wide policy that he may have broken by saying what he said and, and the consequences. And then just the specifics of Jack's employment contract, which also may say something about disparaging or harming the team's business. So I recommend people, if they are curious about the way in which free speech inter intersects with a coach being fined $100,000 for speech, uh, I recommend they reading Mike McCann's piece on Sportico because it really is an interesting look at how that happens. Yeah, but as these teams and more and more of them become platform companies, thank you, Sam Kennedy, uh, and, and it's all built around the brand of the team, right? Everybody knows that Fenway Sports Group is more than just the Red Sox, but it's it's that brand, right? It's the Red Sox, then there's the real estate around it. It's the New England Patriots and Patriots Place, the real estate development around it. That team is so central to it all that now when you're dealing with media, tech, finance, whatever, like you you got to be careful, right? If you're at that, if you're at home base there, you're the team. That that's the that's the centerpiece of it all. The hub, of the, the hub, the spoke, the whatever you want to call it. And yeah, you're going to have ramifications. It's going to go far and wide to any O and O property, right? Own and operated properties that stem from that team itself. I'll give you a I'll give us an easy segue here, Scott. When Phil Mickelson put his foot in his mouth a number of months ago. One of the things that backfired him is the fact that a lot of the, the companies that sponsor him also do a lot of business in Saudi Arabia, right? And and they were upset about the way in which his comments, uh, the, the way in which it reflected on their own business partners, right? It was something right. that I don't think Phil was fully thinking through how saying one thing publicly that was essentially his own opinion, also largely backed up by fact, uh, just affects the way that his partners and the way that they're able to do business in places that they want to do business. So it, it felt kind of parallel to that as well. Yeah, see, uh, I would have flexed my inner Jerry Krasnick, who I used to work with, with sort of, you know, turn of phrase. You said he put his foot in his mouth. I would have said three wood, but <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, but... Smaller again, than a foot. Yeah, th <laughs> this wood. isn't going anywhere, by the, 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 the live... By the way, also, you know, you, you know that's 54. You knew that's like Roman numeral. I did. L-I-V. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So, hey, just for people who didn't know why it's called Live Golf, it's fit, they play 54 holes. That's 54 in Roman numerals. But Patrick Reed is now joined. You have, you know, Bryson DeChambeau. So more and more players. And you're starting to see, like, they were on the defensive in some of the press conferences, right? I'm starting to feel sort of a switch. Like, I'm an independent contractor. I go do and go get paid wherever I want. Almost like a dismissal of the criticism at this point. And Jay Monahan of the PGA Tour, like he obviously had time to formulate a response. And you and I both looked at the response and think it came up a little bit short. Like uh, of a well, you know. He also made he made it seem as if a well, it's sort of a it's an endeavor that will won't have any return on investment. And like I don't, I mean, I know he understands. And that's an argument he can make, but I'm not sure the backers of the Live Golf Tour are looking at it as a standalone property on a PL statement, like, oh, we lost X million on the golf thing. You know, it's sort of it's sort of a 
again, encompassing a bigger platform company and wider aspirations for investment around the world and in the sports world. I think that's such a good point, Scott, because I do think it gets lost a, a little bit. The, the the PGA Tour historically has actually not been great economically for the the star star golfers. But that said, it, it's it's very difficult to, to 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 fairly compete with someone who doesn't have any of the the profit balance sheet requirements that the PGA Tour essentially has. Right? I mean, there's there's no sport that 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 theoretically could compete with someone who doesn't feel the need to make money off of doing the thing. Um, and I think that's super interesting. We, we saw pretty low, I haven't seen the final numbers, but pretty low numbers for the streaming in the US on, on I believe, YouTube and the Live Golf website for the event they had in London, their inaugural event over the past weekend. I, I honestly can't even tell you which team won. Um, and I, I'm not a huge golf fan, but I didn't. I, I know that Rory won the Canadian Open. I, I do, I, I do know that the, the, well, the guy who won, and, I, and again, I don't know either, but whoever won, won more in this one event than he did all last year on the PGA Tour. And, that's, and now that's, you know why people are playing. That's the promise. I, I agree with you that that Jay Monahan, who who runs the PGA Tour, he was interviewed on TV during the Canadian Open. It did feel like I, I was kind of underwhelmed by the the stance he was taking, given that he had a week to kind of prepare for exactly this line of questioning. One thing I did think that was fairly savvy when when the PGA Tour a couple of days ago, maybe Thursday or, or Wednesday, announced that it was going to permanently suspend. Um, or indefinitely suspend uh, golfers from the PGA Tour who, who were participating in Live. The, the 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 response that Live had essentially along the lines of I'm paraphrasing here, but said we're we're entering the era of free agency in golf. I thought that was a really savvy way to frame this. In that again, you, you don't have the, the the need to make money off of this. You can really sell this as a golfers' rights kind of thing, right? We're, we're, we're allowing these golfers to finally make the money that they've been earning for the PGA Tour for so long without actually getting it back in, uh, in, 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 in rewards. Yeah, I think I, th- I thought the, the, the pitch there from Liv, and you can obviously poke holes in this in a number of different ways, but, but framing this against the PGA Tour as allowing athletes to enter free agency and get paid what more on the open market they're worth, I think is a smart move for Liv. All right. Now, you know, I love nothing more than telling people things they don't know. So when, when you came to me and said, hey, I got an interesting nugget on the NBA uh, as it pertains to fanatics moving into China um, with a finance firm. Uh, and you're like, the NBA actually has an ownership stake in the business. And that had previously not been disclosed. So I love that stuff. Tell me what the NBA is up to. Sure. So a year ago, and we may have discussed it on the podcast at the time, Fanatics and Hill House Capital, which is a private equity firm that focuses on retail in Asia, uh, announced a joint venture. At the time, it was a 50-50 joint venture between the two of them to kind of take the really successful Fanatics e-commerce sports model in the U.S. and do it in China with brick and mortar and with e-commerce stores. And and right around, right after that was formed, the NBA uh, signed a, a Chinese uh, e-commerce partnership with Fanatics. And as part of that agreement, as I understand it, the NBA got a small equity stake, about 5% of that joint venture between Fanatics and Hill House Capital. So it's, it's another example of the way in which Fanatics and, and, and Michael Rubin, who runs that company, really thinks about a lot of his verticals as... Uh, as, as as platforms that he wants leagues to share in the upside of, right? And and we see it in the e-commerce business. 
the NFL is an investor, MLB is an investor, NHL, MLS. Ironically, the NBA is not, but the NBA is an investor in the Fanatics trading card group as part of their, you know, their licensing deal. And they're also, as, as you just said, an investor in the Fanatics China, the, the joint venture with Hill House. So one, we're getting a sense of, of, of the NBA's continued business development in China. We mentioned Daryl Morey there, obviously a major hiccup along the road there in the, in the past couple of years, but no U.S. sports league has been as successful as the NBA has in, in cultivating a multi-billion dollar business opportunity in China. This will only continue that. And also just goes to show, uh, again, a, a continuation of one of the kind of hallmarks of Michael Rubin's business strategy with Fanatics, which is a, a willingness to give equity stakes to leagues, which obviously helps them in their day-to-day relationships and helps them renew relationships when they come up. The best partner has skin of the game. And, and 100%. Michael, yeah, Michael certainly knows that. All right, now I don't know how we're going to do this time reference wise, right? Because this is this is going to air, right? The podcast airs on Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> we are speaking Monday, but we already talked about the cricket that maybe. So uh, let's just say, as we record on Monday, you know what I'm doing tonight? I I'm do know. Gonna what you're ha- going to have people. some fun. Headed out to the Tribeca Film Festival, and we can tease uh, upcoming guests. On Wednesday for Thursday's show is Clara Wu Sai, Joe Sai's wife, uh, part owner of the Brooklyn Nets and BSE Global. Uh, she is the executive producer of Unfinished Business, a kind of a 25-year look back at the WNBA through the lens of the New York Liberty, which they currently own. And then on Wednesday, take a day break and have our Converge event uh, at Barclays Center, fittingly enough. But on Wednesday, I'm going back to Tribeca for Fate of a Sport. Uh, our, our buddy Paul and Michael Rabel uh, look at the PLL. Executive producers, by the way, among them, LeBron James and Maverick Carter. There seems to be a renaissance of sports documentaries. I was going to say, o- how hot OJ, is this category? Yeah. <laughs> of course, the Chicago Bulls, you know, Michael Jordan. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to talk with Clara about sort of this renaissance of, of sports and documentaries. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have not been to Tribeca. I don't know why. I just haven't gone down there yet. Uh, and I'm excited to go check it out. If you see Robert De Niro, um, give him a little handshake. Should I have some Nobu? Oh, yes. yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Should you, you, yes. do, do you have, do you have the standard order at Nobu? Uh, I always do the rock shrimp, tempura. rock shrimp, tempura, yeah, black yeah. miso cod. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's the way. How that's, highbrow are we ending this podcast? Well, I don't. I don't go every day. You know, I used to live near Nobu Fifty Seven, so <laughs> it was like only a block away. Joint, by the way, <laughs> last last time I ate at Nobu Fifty Seven, I believe I I bumped into Doc O'Connor uh, of Arctos. At the time, he was the CEO of MSG. Um, he was eating with his family. I bothered him anyway. I you know you I go. stopped by and of said course. hello. Scott. Yep. All right. He is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter. At Soshnik, our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much for all that you do. Matt, our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sporticast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.